Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, guess what book of the Bible we're in today? Guess what book we're starting? The book of Revelation. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we are in the book of Mark. Here we are. It's been 519 days, 31 sermons, and one and a half years, and we're still in the book of Mark. If you're new here to Redemption, one thing that you need to understand about us is that our favorite way to preach the Bible is called expositional preaching. It's a big, fancy college word. I spent $20,000 learning how to say it, so let's go ahead and say it together. Expositional preaching. Man, you guys are so smart. Um, it's a big college word, but basically here's what it means, is that we explain the Bible, that, that we pick a book of the Bible, and then we just get everything out of it that we can. So, so we love the book, we live in the book, we learn from the book, and then we learn how to live our lives based according to this book. So we're in Mark, and we started in chapter one, and then we're just going to work our way from chapter one, verse one, until we get to the very end, or until Jesus comes back. Either way, we're studying in the book of Mark, and today, we are in the halfway point of Mark. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 7, in verse 31 is where we're, gonna get, where we're going to begin. But before we do that, while you're finding your place, let me go ahead and kind of set this up for us. That Mark, in the sermon series, is titled The Simple Gospel, because Mark, it really is the simple gospel. Mark is the clearest picture of of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, how Jesus lives, and how we can live our lives for Jesus. The first seven chapters in the Gospel of Mark is really just an introduction to Jesus. That we see Jesus preach, we see Jesus teach, we see him him heal, we see him perform miracles, we see him, you know, feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable, we see Jesus take a nap, we see Jesus on a boat, we see Jesus eat a sandwich, we've seen Jesus go to a mother-in-law's house, we've seen Jesus get in fights with Pharisees, proclaim the kingdom of God, tell people the good news of the gospel, and Jesus is just revealing the kingdom to everyone, serving everyone, loving everyone, helping everyone that he can. The first seven chapters is really just a big introduction to Jesus. It's about who Jesus is. The last eight chapters is really just going to show us what Jesus did and what Jesus accomplished with his life. And Mark, it's really the simple gospel. So the reason that we decided to do this series is because we noticed that so many people in our church, they were new to faith, that you were new to Jesus, you were new to the Bible, you were new to Christianity, you had a lot of questions. And so as you're coming into the church, we just decided, because God's bringing in so many new people, let's just go ahead and start with the basics. Let's make it really easy, really simple, and let's just tell people what the gospel is. And that's exactly what Mark does. Whenever we started the church, and we started the series rather, it was in April of 2018. 
Okay, and at that time, our church was running about 100 people. I talked to some friends, and they said, Byron, if you start a series spending two years studying one book, nobody's going to want to come back because everybody has ADD. They could barely watch a Hot Pocket cook for two minutes, let alone listen to a sermon series for two years. There is no way people are going to want to come and listen to the same book over and over and over again. And so I said, that sounds like a dare. And so guess what we did? We decided we are going to start the book of Mark. And since we started this book, our, our church has gone from 80 to 300, from one service to three service, 530, where are you at? Welcome. We're glad to have you. We've baptized almost over hundreds of people. I mean, it's just incredible to see what God is doing in his church. And you know what that goes to show me is that people really do want to know what the Bible says. People really are interested in what the Bible says. People really do want to know who Jesus is, and that's why we're doing the Gospel of Mark. I was talking with a woman in our church just a few months ago, and she was actually baptized, brand new Christian in our church, and she was really excited, and she she wanted to learn to read the Bible. So she came up to me one day, and she said, Pastor Byron, I'm super excited because I just went out and bought my very first Bible. I'm like, that's amazing. That's incredible. And then she said, well, but I have some questions. And I was like, okay, well, that's it's normal. So what kind of questions do you have? How can I help? She's like, yeah, I've been reading this. And when does, when does Jesus show up? Okay. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, I started in Genesis. And I was like, oh, that's probably why. And she's like, I'm a little confused because I hear you talk about Jesus all the time, but I started reading this book and I haven't seen his name mentioned once. I started in Genesis and it said that God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And that's different than what they taught me in science class. But I decided I was going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then all of a sudden there was two naked people and a talking snake and they ate some fruit. Then God kicked them out of the garden. And then, you know, their son killed their other son. Six chapters later, God showed up and killed everybody else. This doesn't make any sense. Right? You're like, oh, okay, let me, let me be able to try to help you. How many of you, you're new to the Bible and you try to read it and you're like, it's a little confusing. Anybody think the Bible's a little confusing? Okay, here's, here's what I believe. I believe that the best place for you to start is to start in the book of Mark because Mark is the simple gospel. We love the Old Testament. We love the Bible. We believe it's all trustworthy. We believe every single word of it is true, infallible, and it's the final rule and authority in the life of the believer. But in order for you to understand the old, first you need to understand the new. In order for you to understand what this book says, first you need to know who Jesus is. Because when you know who Jesus is, everything else begins to make sense. So we decided what better way to grow the church than to spend two years just talking about Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we're in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31, as we dive back into the simple gospel. You guys ready? You guys excited? You ready for Mark? Yeah. There we go. I love it. I was still going to do it, whether or not you cheered, but I'm glad that you cheered because we're going to dive back into the book of Mark. And the sermon title for today is called Jesus Goes Out of His Way. I haven't even started my sermon yet, but that's already some good preaching. Amen. Jesus goes out of his way. We're going to read it all. And then I want to give you four ways that Jesus goes out of his way. Starting in verse 31, then he, that's Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue and looked up to heaven and sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, he spoke plainly. 
And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is an incredible story about the power and the love and the compassion that Jesus has on people who are in need. And it's a, it's a wonderful story. And here's basically how it goes down. That Jesus, he rolls into a city known as the Decapolis. The Decapolis is actually a Greek word, which means 10 cities. So it's a large metropolitan area comprised of 10 different cities. And everyone in that city, they, they see Jesus and they remember, oh, this is the miracle worker. This is the healer. This is the man who preaches and teaches. And this is the man who does all of these mighty signs and wonders. We remember in Mark chapter five, he cast out 10,000 demons out of a dude. I remember that. I remember in Mark chapter 7, whenever Jesus, he healed the woman with the issue of blood, and he rise, he raises Jairus' daughter from the, from the grave, and she was dead, and now she's alive. Oh, here's that Jesus guy. He's come to our town. He's come back. Let's go see what he can do, right? We want to see a miracle. We want to see him heal. We want to see him entertain us, and so the crowd, they gather, and then they say, we got to find somebody to use as an object lesson, so they, they run over, and they find a deaf guy, and they grab the deaf guy. They're like, okay, you'll do. And so they bring him to Jesus and they say, here you go, Jesus. He's deaf. He's mute. Do something. And they begged him to lay hands on him. And Jesus pulls the deaf man apart from the crowd, gets him alone one-on-one. -on -one. He spits on the ground. He touches the man. And then boom, instantly, the man, he is healed. People, they start freaking out. Yeah, you would freak out too if you saw that, right? And everyone starts freaking out. And the actual Greek word here in verse 37, when it says, astonished beyond measure, what it means is mind blown. They, they, their mind was literally blown. Not literally, but you know what I mean. They were literally like, this is amazing. This is incredible. And they start running around and they're freaking out and they're telling everyone. And then Jesus is like, Shh, don't tell anybody. And the more he says, don't tell anyone, the more they go and they tell everybody else. They were astonished beyond measure. And they say, he does all things well. That's basically the story. And what's so fascinating about this story is the story was actually not supposed to take place. What's interesting about Mark's gospel is that Mark is the only one who records this story. There's four different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of you, you're new to the Bible and you're reading, and you're like, hey, this is the same story four different times. Did Jesus come four times? You'd figure by the fourth time he would have learned they were trying to kill him. Shouldn't he figure that out by now? No, it's actually one story written from four different perspectives. Matthew doesn't record this story. Luke doesn't record this story. Neither does John. Mark is the only person who records this story. And it's a really interesting reason why Mark is the only one who includes it. When you come to reading the Gospels, Mark is different than the other ones. Because Mark is not so much concerned with the chronology of Jesus's ministry as much as he is the geography of Jesus' ministry. See, Mark doesn't really care when the events happened. He's more concerned with where the events happened. So let me go ahead and throw a graphic up on the screen for my slide, guys. Can y'all put this map up here. Okay, we're going to do a little first-year Bible college for you guys, okay? Y'all can do it. So here's a little first-year Bible college. This is a map of Israel in the first century during the time of Jesus. Chapters one through seven take place in a region known as Galilee. Got my little handy-dandy technology, right? So I got a laser pointer, and 
The first seven chapters and two and a half years of Jesus' ministry take place right here in this region known as Galilee. Now, Galilee is your basic, ordinary, rural, Jewish, middle-class, common folk, Coors Light drinking, no mix wearing, salt of the earth type people. That's basically who it is. So when you think about Galilee, think Orange or Lumberton, Nederland, Vider, that's basically Galilee. Okay, and, and they were all good Jewish people. They grew up going to church. They would read from the Torah. They knew the prayers that they were supposed to pray. They probably had a praying grandmother who would, you know, bring them over after every Sabbath to give them some food. They, they, they would perform their sacrifices. They, they were basically normal people who, who love the Lord. Okay, that's, that's like Southeast Texas. Like everyone from Southeast Texas has a praying grandma or somebody who would drag them to church. And you've heard of who Jesus is. That's, that's basically Galilee. Jesus spends the first two and a half years of his ministry in this region. The end of Jesus' life, well, it takes place here in Judea and in Jerusalem primarily. Jerusalem is the big city. Jerusalem is the center of religion, the center of commerce. It's the center of all of Jewish culture. So if you wanted to buy anything, you would go to Jerusalem. If you wanted to trade or sell, you would go to Jerusalem. If you wanted to go to the temple, well, that was located in Jerusalem. That King David, he established the, the, the nation of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital. It was one of the first places that God has revealed his glory at, that Solomon comes along. He establishes the, the temple in Jerusalem. He rebuilds that. And, and that was the center. So if you wanted to have your sins forgiven, you had to go to Jerusalem. If you wanted to perform ritual sacrifices, you would have to go to Jerusalem. If you wanted to celebrate any of the feasts and the festivals or the Jewish holidays, then you would do so in Jerusalem. And so Jesus' life is here in Galilee. And then at the end of his life, he goes down here to Jerusalem. This is where he would be arrested, tried, crucified, and murdered because Jesus is the sacrifice in our place. So Jesus comes and then he goes here. But what's interesting that Mark picks up and what we're going to see over the next couple of chapters that we're going to be studying during this series, in order for Jesus to go from here to Galilee, you would think as he's on his way here to the cross that it would be just a straight line. Instead, what we notice is this. In order to get to Jerusalem, Jesus goes from Galilee to Tyre, to Sidon, and then down here to the Decapolis. You think, well, okay, well, why would Jesus do that? Because the Decapolis, they're actually Gentiles. The people who live in, in this region right here, they're Gentiles. What that means is they are far from God. They're not Jewish, that they're actually pagans. They didn't grow up going to synagogue. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't have praying grandparents. They had no one. They didn't worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped the false gods of Rome. They didn't worship the God of Israel. They worshiped Caesar as their God. That they didn't go to the temple to have their sins forgiven. They went to pagan temples to commit sins of child sacrifice, sexual sins, or other sacrifices to their false gods. This is the culture. This is the environment. These are the people that Jesus goes to. That no good Jewish person would ever spend any time with these people and and yet we see that's exactly what Jesus does. Why? Because Jesus goes out of his way. 
In fact, this is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique compared to every other major religion in the world is that we serve a God who loves to go out of his way. Every other religion or philosophy, ideology, self-help, what they will tell you is this, that you can make your way to God, that if you're a good person, if you do enough good deeds, if you pull yourself up from your own bootstraps, then you can make your way to God. Maybe that's reincarnation. Maybe it's paying off your karmic debt. Maybe it's going to a certain place, giving this so much money, making this pilgrimage, could be wearing certain clothes, could be dressing in a certain way, could be speaking in a tongue, having a certain skin color, and that if you fit in this mold, then you can make your way to God through your good works, through your good deeds. If you're a good person, if you walk your dog, pay your taxes, rack your weights, you're a good person, and you can make your way to God. Christianity comes along and says, eh, wrong. You cannot make your way to God. That no one is righteous, not even one. No one is perfect, not even one. No one is good. No one on their own can make their way to God because we're all fractured, we are all flawed, we are all sinful, separated from him, that the ditch is dug too deep. You cannot climb nor crawl your way out of it. We are all too far. And so what we see is this. That because you can't make your way to God, God has made his way to you. That Jesus goes out of his way. That Jesus is God in the flesh, stepping down from heaven, entering into this earth on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. That he sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your hopelessness. He sees you in your sin. And he loves you enough that he got off his throne. He went out of his way to enter into this world so he could live the life that you could not live. He would die the death in your place for your sins the death that you deserve. He would go to the cross. He would be betrayed. He would be mocked. He would be spit on, cursed. He would be ridiculed, thrown into a grave. Three days later, resurrecting, conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, giving you hope, grace, mercy, redemption, reconciliation. Your sins are forgiven. You've been united and made one with him. You cannot make your way to God. And so in Christ, God has made his way to you. We serve God who loves to go out of his way. This is what separates Christianity, and this is really the good news of Jesus. The simple gospel is this. Jesus goes out of his way. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like you're too far. I want you to know that's not true, because he will go out of his way for you. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like you've done too much. I want you to know that's not true because he will go out of his way for you. Maybe you feel like you're an interruption. Maybe you feel like you're a failure. Maybe you feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, that it would be better if you weren't here, and that you're all alone, far from him. I want you to know that is not true, because we serve a God who loves to go out of his way. He went out of his way to the Decapolis. He'll go out of his way for you. He went out of his way for the deaf man. He'll go out of his way for you. He went out of his way to die for the sins of this world. He will also go out of his way for you. And so what I want to show you today is four ways that Jesus goes out of his way. The first way that Jesus will go out of his way is Jesus wants to meet you where you are at. Starting in verse 31, here's what we see. 
Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon into the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Here we first meet the man who is deaf and mute, or he has a a speech impediment. Now, Mark doesn't tell us how this man ended up like this. But what we can ascertain from the text is that he wasn't always like this. Because normally, a gospel writer, they would say this, that he was this way from birth, or that, or, or that um, he was born this way, or he was born with a speech impediment, or he was born blind, born mute, born deaf. But Mark, he, he doesn't say that. It just simply says this man was deaf, and he has a speech impediment. So what we can ascertain is this, is that something tragic, terrible, or horrible has happened in this man's life to leave him in the condition that he is in. I want you for just a moment to emotionally connect with this man. I want you to enter into a story. I want you to just imagine what it would be like to be deaf. I mean, really, just think about it. What would it be like for you to never be able to hear someone say, I love you? What would it be like for you to never hear a funny joke? What would it be like for you to never be able to listen to the melody of a song? What would it be like for you to never hear the preaching of God's word? What would it be like for you to never hear your child? Think about it. What would it be like if you lived your entire life in total silence? Can you imagine that? See, for this man, it was not just a physical condition. It was also an emotional condition for him. That he was ostracized, ridiculed, made fun of. That when the crowd wanted to see a miracle, they chose to use him as an object lesson. They didn't even really care about him. They just wanted to use him. That he would feel so rejected, dejected, that he would be unwelcomed, unloved. I mean, just think about it. That, that, that would mean that he couldn't work. He was basically homeless. He couldn't get married. He couldn't have kids. There was no way that he could provide for other people. He couldn't provide for himself. In our day, deafness is a difficulty. In those days, it was probably a death sentence that he would just be all alone, starve and die with nobody to care about him. Just imagine what it would be like to be deaf. You know, to be honest, we don't really think about the deaf community very often. And I know that before the last few weeks, I hadn't thought about the deaf community very much either. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I began to do a little bit of research for it. And what what I discovered is this, that in the world, there's about 500 million people who are hearing impaired or deaf, and only 2% of the population actually know who Jesus is. That the deaf community is one of the least reached people groups in the entire world. That there might possibly be more Christians in North Korea than there are within the deaf community. It's not even just a a physical condition. It's not just an emotional condition, but it's also a spiritual condition. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing is the word of God. And if you can't hear, well, then how do you know him? Just imagine what this man is going through. You know, even the pagans, what they would say is that this condition on this man was a curse from the gods. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus is God coming to him. Because Jesus goes out of his way. And and here's what Jesus does. Jesus goes, and what does he do? 
he meets him right where he's at. Jesus doesn't see the man and say, nope, too busy for you. Jesus doesn't see him and say, oh, nope, I can't help you. Come back on Tuesday. Tuesday's my healing day. Can't help you. Jesus say, no, 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 you're cursed. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, no, you're not welcome here. I'm really busy. I'm not supposed to be here anyway, so quit bothering me. That's not what Jesus does. You know what Jesus does? He meets him right where he is at. And the big idea is this, that if you come just as you are, he will meet you where you're at. That this man, he comes just as he is. He didn't change anything. He didn't fix anything. He didn't hide anything. He just came to Jesus just as he was, and Jesus met him right where he was at. You know, you don't have to be deaf to be able to, to, to connect with this man, because we all go through, through things in life. We all go through things that are traumatic. We go through tragedy. We go through heartbreak. We go through disappointment. We go through failure. We all have times and seasons in our life where we feel like nobody cares about us. We all go through things in life that leave us feeling exactly like this man was. It may not be a physical, a physical reality, but for all of us, there is an emotional reality that we can identify with. And beyond that, there's a spiritual reality that we can identify with because you try to connect to God and it just doesn't make sense. You try to pray and it just doesn't work. You try to read your Bible and it doesn't make sense. You come to church, you come to community group, and it feels like there's something between you and him and you're just not connecting, you're just not involved, and it just doesn't feel like anything you're working is, anything you're doing is working or helping. How many of you ever feel that way? How many of you ever feel emotionally or spiritually deaf? I want you to know that's a good place for you to be. Do you know why that's a good place to be? Because he'll meet you right where you're at. If you come just as you are, he will meet you right where you're at. Heck, this is my story. 13 years ago, I was strung out on drugs, drunk, homeless, punk rock kid, nothing to live for, totally depressed, and then Jesus met me right where I was at. This is my wife's story. She was 19 years old in her bedroom, two o'clock in the morning, and she was crying, and she was weeping, and she was lonely, and then God showed up and met her right where she was at. My best friend became a Christian in a Bible study after he drank a fifth of whiskey, and his first prayer was this, Jesus, I'm drunk, save me. And guess what? Jesus met him right where he was at. You come just as you are and he will meet you right where you're at. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you come just as you are, if you come with your depravity, with your deformity, if you come with the separation and the shame and the guilt, if you bring all of that to him, if you come just as you are, he will meet you right where you are at. That's what Jesus does. Jesus goes, to, goes out of his way to meet you where you are. Well, the second thing is this. Jesus will go out of his way to take you aside. Here's how it goes in verse 33. And take him aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Okay, now if this was me, I'd be freaking out. Okay, and two reasons why I'd be freaking out. Number one, Jesus just spit in this dude's mouth. That's weird. Anybody else thinks that's weird? Jesus spit and touched his tongue. You're like, whoa, Jesus I'm only swapping spit with my wife, not you. Come on, Jesus. I love you, but not like that. Amen? That's, that's, that's just the way I read the Bible. Never mind. <laughs> we'll edit all this out in the end. <laughs> that joke didn't go over in second service either, and so I don't know why I tried again. 
The second thing is this. Jesus pulls the guy aside. Now, being pulled aside is never a good thing. Like, if you want to see me freak out, if you want to see, you know, my anxiety, like, go crazy, here's what you do. Pull me aside. Okay, if you're like, hey, bro, we, we need to talk. I'm like, uh, no, we don't. We're good. We, there, we do not need to talk. Like, yeah, I think we did have a conversation. Okay, well, you can have a conversation over there. I'm going to go have my conversation over here with myself because I ain't talking to you. I don't want to talk to you. No, 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 no. Is something wrong? Did I offend you? Are you leaving the church? Did, 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 is Ashley leaving me? Did, did Esther die? My brain goes to automatically the worst case scenario. You're like, hey, we need to talk. I'm like, you can talk to yourself, bro, because I ain't talking to you. Like, that's just me. That's just me. You try to call me or just... Nope, ain't answering, ain't answering. Just text me like a normal person so I can ignore you. That's basically, that, that's me. Anybody else? Okay, pray for your pastor. <laughs> Normally, taking someone aside, not a good thing. But here we see that it's actually a very good thing. That Jesus pulls this man aside, not to shame him, but to save him. Jesus pulls this man aside, not to hurt him, but to help him, not to harm him, but rather to heal him. Here's what it says. It says that he brings him aside because he wants to speak to him what? Privately. He wants to be alone with him. He wants to have a private interaction with him. He wants to get personal with this man. And what does he do? He touches his ears and he touches his tongue. You think that's interesting. Why would Jesus do that? What I believe is this, is that Jesus wants to touch the most painful places of your life. The places that bring you shame, the places that bring guilt in your life, the sins that you're hiding, the things that keep you away from everybody else, the things that keep you awake at night that you don't want to talk about, you don't want to tell anybody else, the things that you hide, Jesus wants to pull you aside so he can touch those areas. And he he does so privately. And here's what this looks like, is that for you and me, we need to get alone with Jesus. That we need to get away from the distractions. We need to get away from the crowd. We need to get away from the things that are holding us down or holding us back. And we need to get alone with him one-on-one so he can begin to minister to those places in our life. To where Jesus can pull us to the side. You know, whenever you're reading the Bible, what you need to understand is that that there is a physical reality, but there's also a spiritual reality. So when we're reading stories like this and we see a man who is deaf or a man who's mute and he gets healed, right, that's not just a story about the power of Jesus' ability to heal. On one sense, yes, that is true. We believe in divine healing. We believe that, you know, that Jesus can, will do that. So if you need a healing, come forward. We would love to be able to pray for you. But that's not really the point of the story, that there is a physical reality, but there's also a spiritual reality underneath it. So whenever you're reading through the Bible, whenever Jesus feeds 5,000 people, it's not saying that he's going to give you an all-you-can-eat buffet. What it means is this, that he will provide for you when you're in need. Whenever Jesus um, calms the storm with just a word, that's not permission for you to go to Galveston and start yelling at hurricanes. That's not what it means. What it means is this, that even when the storms of life are raging, he can still give you peace. Whenever Jesus casts out the demon at Peter's mother-in-law's house, that doesn't give you permission to go pray for your mother-in-law. That's not what it's talking about. What it's, what it's saying is this, is that Jesus does have authority. Whenever Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, 
It's not saying that you can go into the graveyards and start praying over the cemetery. What it is saying is this, that just as there's a physical death, there's also a spiritual death. And that apart from Jesus, you and me and everyone who live, we are dead in our sins, but just the touch of Jesus resurrects and gives us new life. What this is saying is this, is that those areas in your life that you are hiding, that you're filled with shame, and that you don't want anyone to be able to know about, Jesus wants to pull you aside so he can start to deal with them. The big idea is this, that it, he will meet you where you are because he wants to change who you are. Jesus ain't about to meet this man and leave him the same way that he found him. Jesus ain't about to get alone with this man and let him walk away exactly the same way that he was when he met him. Yeah, Jesus will meet you where you are because he wants to change who you are. When you meet Jesus, it's impossible for things to stay the same. We have a saying here that says, Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, things in your life, they begin to change. You know what I've noticed is that there's so many people who wanna come down to the altar, but they don't want Jesus to take them aside. That you want to come to church, you want to look real nice, sit in the seat, say, sing the songs, listen to the sermon, and walk away the same way that you were when you walked into these doors. There's a lot of people, they come to church and they say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, but you don't want to give up your sins. You say, Jesus, I want a new life, but you don't want to actually live a new life. You want to be forgiven, but you're not giving those things up. You want to be healed, but you want to go right back to the things that caused the problems in the first place. When you meet Jesus, things in your life begin to change. See, it's really easy for us to bow our heads, pray a prayer, come down to the altar, but when Jesus pulls us aside, that's where life change takes place. If you want to see a miracle, you got to get face to face with Jesus. If you want to see him do something in your life, you got to get away from the crowd you got to get away from the distractions. you got to get away from the things that hinder you and hold you back. you got to get away from the, from the voices that are criticizing or the voices that are putting you down, causing you to live in that same environment and place that you're in. If you want to see a miracle, you got to get alone with Jesus because it's face-to-face. -face. That's where life change takes place. It's impossible for you to meet Jesus and stay the same. Those places of pain and shame, he wants to deal with those things. Jesus wants to pull you aside. Well, that leads us to the third point is this, because he wants to speak into your life. That Jesus will pull you aside, go out of his way, so he could speak into your life. Verse 33, here's, here's what he says. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. How many of you have one of those Bibles with the red letters? You know what I'm talking about, the red letter Bibles? So as you're looking through this section, some Bibles, whatever word Jesus says will be written in red, so you know those are the words of the Lord. So for those of you who have a red letter Bible, go ahead and look and see how many words are written in red that, that Jesus says. Just one. Okay, this word of pathetha. Now, why would that be, right? Well, one, because the man's deaf. 
So it doesn't matter what Jesus says. He's not going to waste any words, so he only uses one word. Well, the second reason is because Jesus doesn't need to waste words because one word from him is all that we need. And you'd read and think, okay, Jesus only says one word, but that's actually not true. That's actually not, Jesus says a whole lot in this section of scripture. Um, While he may not say it verbally, he still says it very personally. Jesus here actually uses sign language. Okay, I want to show you how, how this works. So now he didn't use ASL or American Sign Language because first century Israel, they didn't have that. But he does still use sign language. There's some people in our church who are actually really good at sign language. I'm not good at it. Okay, I, I learned a little bit of the alphabet, but that's about all I know, not enough to be able to have a conversation or anything. But but what I love so much about the about the person of Jesus is this is that Jesus will go out of his way to speak into your life. Here's what Jesus does as he uses the sign language. He, he actually first touches the man's ears. What he's saying is, you're deaf. And I just imagine the guy giving a nod. There's a thing called the deaf nod. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's just kind of a nod because there's a lot of concentration that deaf people put in to be able to listen whether it's reading lips or whether it's um, picking up verbal cues or nonverbal cues, it's very exhausting. And so oftentimes when you're talking to them, they'll kind of nod because they're trying to understand what you're saying. And so Jesus starts off by touching his ears and saying, you're deaf. The man says, yes. He says, I'm going to heal your ears. And then he touches his tongue. And the reason he uses spit is because back in that day, they actually believed that um, the saliva carried medicinal powers. And so by spitting in the ground, Jesus is communicating to this man that he's going to heal him through power. Now, Jesus isn't doing this because he's some, you know, um, witch doctor who's trying to do it in these pagan ways, but he's speaking in a way that this man can understand. And so he, he touches the man's tongue and he says, you're, you're mute. And the man says, yes. He says, I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal your speech. And then he, he lets out a sigh. This is pretty fascinating. I mean, why would Jesus sigh? Is it because Jesus was bothered? Jesus is like, I've got to heal another person. No, that's not the reason why. The commentators I was reading this week, what they said is that whenever Jesus made this sigh, what he is doing is he is groaning inwardly. It's an act of compassion. Compassion literally means co-suffering, that in this moment, Jesus is entering into this man's suffering. In this moment, Jesus is entering in, identifying with them, taking upon him the shame, the circumstance, experiencing everything in this man's life, that he is sympathizing, empathizing, that he, from the bottom of his being, is, is just broken and heartbroken for this man, that he would be in this situation. It's not that Jesus had to do it. It's that Jesus had to come because he had to do it. And the world is so broken, and people are so hurting, and Jesus is so from the depths of his being. The author of Hebrews says that we serve a high priest whoever who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. The point of the cross is that Jesus would suffer in our place. In this moment, Jesus is demonstrating just that with this man. He is suffering with his sigh, and then he does something interesting. He looks up to heaven. What he's showing this man is your ears, your mouth, your shame. God is going to remove that from you. That the power that's going to heal you comes from the Lord. But more than that, what he's indicating is this, that God sees you. No one else sees you, 
God sees you. God loves you. No one else is loving you, but God's going to love you. And even though you're deaf, God hears you. He hears your cries. And even though you can't speak to him, he's going to speak a word over you. And then he says this. He says, apathetha, which means be opened. And then immediately, boom, he can hear. He can speak. And not just speak. It says he can speak plainly, perfectly. No stutter, no stammer. Jesus, don't do things halfway. He speaks plainly. He hears perfectly. In one moment, from one touch, this man's life was changed just through one word because one word from him is more than enough for you. Whenever he speaks into your life, you can believe it. Whenever Jesus speaks a word over you, you can count on it. You can trust it. You can take that to the bank because his word is true. His word is right. His word is power. And one word from him is more than enough for you. Whenever Jesus says you are loved, you are loved. When Jesus says you are blessed, you are blessed. When Jesus says you are healed, you are healed. When Jesus says you are saved, you are saved. There ain't nothing and no hell that can take that away because Jesus' word is true. And one word from him is more than enough for you. But there is something else that's very important that we need to see that's really going to open up this text for us to understand is that this word carries a really deep significance, the apathetha. It means be open. Now, you and me, whenever we read this, we think, of course, Jesus is saying be open to heal the man, talking about his ears and his mouth. But that's actually not what Jesus says. See, you and me, we would look at this man in the condition or the situation that he's in, and we would think, oh, poor him, and we would have pity on him. Oh, glad Jesus opened his ears and opened his mouth. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't say for his ears to be opened. Jesus doesn't even say for his mouth to be opened. If you look back in the text, here's, here's what it says. And then he said to what? Not his ears, not his mouth. He said to what? To him, you be opened. Jesus wasn't just opening his ears. Jesus wasn't just opening his mouth. Jesus was opening his life, his heart. He was opening the whole being to the truth of his goodness, mercy, and to the truth of his power. You see, you and me, we often focus on the situation. Jesus wants to get deeper than your situation. He wants to show you that your greatest need is your salvation. Your greatest need is not your situation. Your greatest need is your salvation. See, you and me, we would see a deaf man. Jesus didn't see a deaf man. Jesus saw a man who was hurting. You and me, we would see a mute man. Jesus didn't see a mute man. Jesus saw a man who was far from him, and he goes out of his way to speak a word into his life. And one word from him opens us up to everything that he has for us. Our greatest need is not our situation. Our greatest need is for salvation. That Jesus opens up this man's heart. Jesus opens up this man's life. Jesus opens up this man's entire being, alters his entire destiny, his entire direction. And one moment, one touch, one word, this man's life is never the same again. Yeah, Jesus does heal his ears, but first it's because he opened his heart. Jesus does heal the man's 
ability to speak, but first he opens up his heart. See, so many of us, we come to Jesus focusing only on our situation. We say, God, would you please help me? I can't pay my bills. God, would you please help me? I keep asking her out and she won't say yes. God, would you please help me because my GPA is taken? God, would you please help me because my kids are driving me crazy? My marriage is falling apart. Lord, please help. And Jesus says, I want to go deeper. It's not just your situation. How's your soul? How's your heart? How's your life? Let's open that heart first, and then we'll worry about the ears. Let's open that heart first, and then we'll worry about your speech. Let's open your heart first, and then we'll take care of your marriage. Let's open your heart first, and then we'll settle that addiction. Let's open your heart first, and then, then we'll worry about your margin in your life to be able to bring your GPA up. Let's open up that heart first, and then we'll talk about your girlfriend. But first, let's open up your heart. Because when the heart's open, then everything else begins to take care of itself. See, Jesus says, I'll heal your ears, I'll hear your mouth, but first let me heal your heart. See, this man, his greatest need was not his situation. That's what everybody thought. Everybody thought, this man's so jacked up. This man's so messed up. Come on, let's bring him to Jesus. And they thought that they were just going to get a blessing, but instead, they watched a man get saved. And then after he got saved, everything in his life began to change. One word from Jesus is all that you need in your life, but you got to be open to him. Are you open to the word of Jesus in your life? Let's just ask that question. Are you open to what Jesus wants to do, or are you closed? Are you hard-hearted or open-hearted? Is your life open to the Lord, or is your life closed off to his word in your life? If you want to see God do something amazing, you got to be open. And Jesus speaks a word into him. He says, Apathitha, be opened. In one word, everything changes. Jesus wants to speak a word into your life. You know, I, I don't really think a lot about the deaf community until the past month or two because we have a man in our church He's actually become a dear friend, and he gives better hugs than all of you people. <laughs> and um, he's deaf, and he's homeless. And when he first started coming to our church, it was really hard to communicate with him. Because, I mean, well, I didn't think about it, but I tried to talk to him, and we're texting back and forth, and we got our notes app open on the phone, or he's writing on cards. And it's really difficult for me to communicate. And as I was reading this out, I was just thinking, wow, this is such a beautiful story because it reminds me of my friend. This is one of the reasons why we love preaching expositional, by the way. But you can't plan these things. God can. Yeah. Right, we started this series in April. I didn't know he was going to start coming in July. And, and, you know, just off the top of my head, I had a young woman in our, in our church um, just before the 530. She came up to me and she said, Byron, I sat in the the nine o'clock sermon, and I've been really struggling with what God wanted me to do and go to college for, and I wanted to change my college major to hearing and speech, and this sermon was a confirmation for me to do that. That's amazing. And there was another woman at the 11 o'clock service. She messaged me, and she said, Pastor, you won't believe this, but I actually just put in for um, a, a change of um, education 
for me to go to learn ASL. Wow, that's amazing. There was another woman at the 9 o'clock service who had 100% hearing loss in her right ear and 20% in her left ear, and she came forward for prayer, and she could hear better. It's amazing how God does that. We can't plan these things, but God can. So after I was getting to know him, he, he came and he wanted to be baptized. He, he, he said, he wrote on a little note card. He said, I've been a Christian. I've known God for most of my life, but I've never been in a church and I've never been baptized. I want to be baptized. So I said, let's do it. That sounds amazing. And so he started doing his baptism. And as he got into the tank in the water, I realized there's a little complication here. Because normally what we would do is you have to publicly profess your faith in Jesus. Okay? He can't do that. So we're like, how are we going to do this? So he actually wrote his story down on a note card. And then we read it out for him. And then the other thing is we ask a series of questions. We say, do you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You have to say yes. Say, do you commit to spend your life following after him? Say yes. Do you want to live in obedience to him? Yes. Do you agree to be a part of a covenant Christian community, you would have to agree to those things. He couldn't do that. So we actually had a note card, and he would nod his head, yes. And then we read his testimony. And it's just so beautiful to see what Jesus is doing in his life. But I want to I want to show you. Here's actually a, a video from my friend's baptism. Life change through Jesus. He will go out of his way to speak a word in your life. Which leads us to the fourth point is that Jesus wants to give you a story to tell. Here's how the story closes. And Jesus charged them, tell no one. That's interesting. You just healed the guy. Why don't you want people to tell anyone? If you just healed somebody, wouldn't you want everybody to know? You're like, hey, this is amazing. Let's get, you know, let's get the news station down here. Let's, you know, get on TMZ. Let's do a little crusade. Get everybody down here. We want to see. Oh, did we? He's healed. That's amazing. And then Jesus says, yeah, I know I healed this guy, but don't tell anybody. Like, shh, keep it on the down low. I think that's weird. Why would, why would Jesus do this? Well, we'll keep reading. He says, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They're like, Jesus, we're not listening. We're going to go tell everybody. And Jesus is like, ah, told you not to say anything. Verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You think, this is an inspiring message. This is a great message. This is such an encouraging message. It's so hopeful. I mean, it's so amazing. Signs, wonders, healings, miracles, Jesus, woohoo, power. How does it end? Theology. You're like, really? Theology? We're going to close this amazing sermon with theology. Yep, womp, womp. This is redemption. We love theology, and you're smart, and you can do this. So let's close with a little bit of theology. Why would Jesus say, don't do this? It's actually very important when it comes to studying Mark. It's what is called the messianic secret. 
It's unique to Mark. He's the only gospel writer that includes it. Actually, nine times already in Mark's gospel, Jesus has said, don't tell anybody. And then it's going to show up more and more, especially during this sermon series. The messianic secret is going to play a really important vital role. So we need to, we need to understand this. Why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody about what I just did? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, Jesus could do it because he was using reverse psychology. How many of you use that on your kids? Okay, that's not Christ-like, so just so you know. That's not why Jesus is going to do this. Okay, you can go back and listen to Proverbs Wisdom for Parenting. But Jesus, he does not use reverse psychology. That's not very Christ-like, so we can toss that out. The second thing is, Mark could be making it up. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. And then Mark goes back and he changes his story. That's not true either. Uh, some German guy with a big last name wrote that in the 1800s, and the History Channel picked it up, and now there's ancient alien shows telling you that's true. Not true. Don't get your theology from YouTube. The third thing is this. It wasn't Jesus' time yet. See, if you think about it, Jesus has come on a mission. He's gone out of his way on a mission. Jesus has three years to change the world, raise up 11, 12 disciples, and then be able to hand his mission off to them. Jesus came to live the life, the perfect life, die the death in our place. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God, to usher in the, the gospel and the good news to everyone that he meets. And then if the word gets out too fast, well, all that's over. Because if he's out claiming to be the Christ, well, the Jewish people, they're going to want to kill him. If he's claiming to be the king of the Jews already, well, then the, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to kill him. The crowds are going to press around him. He's not going to be able to do any ministry because he's always going to be trending on Twitter. He can't get along with anybody else. He's the big news on the block. Everybody's freaking out about Jesus. And so he has to keep it low because his time has not yet come. That Jesus, he knows, I have come for a reason, and the reason I came is not just to be a miracle worker. Jesus didn't come just to perform miracles. Jesus came to be a Messiah. Jesus didn't come just to entertain you. Jesus came to save you. He has greater work to be done. There's more people to love. There's more people to heal. There's more people to be blessed. And so at this point, his time has not yet come. We're only in chapter seven. We got eight more chapters to go. So if that's what it means for them, well, what does that mean for us? If for them it means be silent, what does that mean for us? If for them it means it was not yet his time, for us it means now it's our time. It's our time to tell the world. It's our time to tell everyone what Jesus has done. The secret is out. There is no messianic secret on this side of the resurrection. Jesus done died. Jesus has raised. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. The secret is out. We cannot be silent. We got a story to tell. Go tell the world what Jesus has done for you. Go tell the world what Jesus has healed you from. Go tell the world, yeah, I was broken, and then he met me where I was at. I was lost, and then he met me where I was at. I was shamed, but then he met me where I was at. I was far from him, and he went out of his way for me. Tell the world what Jesus has done. Say, he has done all things well. He has never let you down. He has never failed you. He's never walked out on you. He has always gone out of his way. For you, the secret is out. Do not be silent. Let the world know. You have a story to tell. This is the whole reason we're doing this series, The Simple Gospel. 
It's because we want you to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what it means for you to live your life for Jesus. Because when you know who Jesus is, everything else begins to make sense. Do you remember at the beginning of the sermon when I, when I told you that maybe the Bible's confusing or difficult, or maybe it's hard for you to be able to understand? Do you remember when I talked about, well, if you understand who Jesus is, then everything else begins to make sense? Well, there was a man about 600 years before Jesus came. His name was Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet, and he writes a book of the Bible prophesying, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the, the one who is going to forgive the world of their sins, the one who is going to be anointed of God to be the redeemer of mankind. And some 600 years before Isaiah actually prophesied this, here's what he says in Isaiah 35. He will come. That you can't make your way to him, but he will make his way to you. That you can't get to him, and so he will go out of his way for you. Isaiah 35 says, he will come and he will save you. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. It's not about your works. It's about his works. That you can't save yourself so he is going to come and go out of his way to save you. And then after salvation comes these situations. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be opened and the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The gospel is simple. Jesus goes, out of his way for you. This is the way it was, this is the way it is, and this is the way that it's always been. Even the prophet Isaiah, looking forward, he knew this, that God was going to come, God was going to go out of his way to meet those who were in need. The gospel is simple. It's not difficult, it's not complicated. It's simple, and here's what it is. Jesus loves to go out of his way to meet you right where you're at. So maybe you're here today and you feel like you're far from God. I want you to know he goes out of his way for you. Maybe you're here today and you feel as if there's nothing you can do. Guess what? There ain't nothing you can do. So he's come and he's done it for you. He goes out of his way for you. Maybe there's a situation in your life where it just feels impossible. Well, hey, it might be impossible, but he's a God who does the impossible. He will go out of his way for you. Maybe there's hurt or guilt or shame. Maybe there's sin that you're holding on to. Whatever it is, if you are here today, do not leave the same way that you walked in these doors. Come to him just as you are, and he will meet you right where you're at. He will love you. He will help you. He will bless you. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will go out of his way just for you. The gospel is simple. He goes out of his way. And when you know who Jesus is, everything else begins to make sense. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.